Well, you can open your Bible with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can grab one under a seat uh, nearby. And if you don't own a Bible, uh, you're welcome to take that with you. Well, we're continuing in our series on being and making disciples. So we're focusing on our purpose as a church, which really is the focus and calling of all Christians um, who are part of this. And middle school students are dismissed to your classes. So a lot has changed over the last 10 months, but we recognize that our purpose as a church and as Christians has not changed. And so it can be really helpful that uh, in a time like this to clarify and refocus on why are we here? Who are we? What are we supposed to be doing with our lives and as a church family? And so our purpose is to glorify God by being and making disciples of Jesus who are a community of worshipers on mission. Um, I, almost every time I say that, I mention that we're not trying to be creative or unique with that. We're just trying to summarize what the Bible says is the calling of us, of local churches, and for us to do in our context. So we're focusing for three weeks on our calling to be and make disciples of Jesus. And three words that summarize what that looks like are worship, community, and mission. Those three words have, uh, they frame everything we do as a church. Uh, those three words or words similar to those have expressed from the beginning of our particular local church uh, who we are and what we do. They remind us that when we become Christians, our identity changes. We become worshipers of the true God, called to express that in everyday life. Um, God saves us through the work of Jesus on the cross. Jesus died on the cross in our place. And it's a, it's a public cosmic demonstration of what we deserve for our sin, to be condemned. And that is coming, a judgment is coming, but Jesus came to take our place so that for all who trust in Him, uh, we don't receive condemnation, but acceptance in life with God and His people forever in a new creation. So Jesus died for us, He rose again, and He is in heaven reigning over all things, and He'll return one day to make all things new. And we now are those who trust in Jesus, who have repented from their sins and turned to Him. We're worshipers of the true God now and able to express this in all of life. We're also a community. We're not just saved individually. We're saved into the church and into a church family. Uh, so we're now part of a community. Uh, we're members of one another. We're part of a new family. And we're given a task a task, a mission. We are, we're called to live on mission in the world, to love and serve and preeminently to share the good news of Jesus uh, with other people. So you can think of these three words as having a directional orientation. So worship is an upward orientation toward God. Community is our inward one another orientation. We have a calling to serve and love one another. And mission is our outward orientation to love and serve the world and to make uh, disciples of Jesus. Now, all three of these words are important for us as a church, right? Think what happens if even one of those is missing in a local church. So, think about what would happen if we neglect worship, if we only lean into being a community on mission but not worship. What will happen? Well, we'll not actually grow healthier. We may grow in numbers, but we won't grow healthier. We won't be knowing God and seeking to honor Him and serve Him, we'll lose also the deep motivation for community and mission, right? 
all of our communal life together and mission to the world is to be a response, an ongoing response cultivated by knowing God and His grace to us. As He loves us, we receive that and we love one another. As He serves us, we receive that and serve one another. As He's gracious to us, we're gracious to one another. What happens if we neglect community? So if we only focus on the vertical orientation toward God and outward to the world, we neglect community. Well, then we'll have a very individualistic view of Christianity. We'll lose the beauty and the power of gospel community, of a gospel culture as a church. Part of the power of Christian witness is not just Christians sharing the message of Jesus, but having that message confirmed by people seeing the power of the Spirit at work and the power of the gospel at work in a church community where people actually start loving and serving one another in beautiful, powerful ways. What happens if we neglect mission? If we just focus on worship and community? Well, that kind of church would become ingrown, right? It would become stagnant. Ultimately, it would be a selfish church, content to worship God together with walls around us in our lives while the rest of the world doesn't know Him. Uh, So we don't want that kind of community, but a church with all three, worship, community, and mission, that's a powerful church. That's a church that we were made for. That's what we can have, and that's what every one of us is called to enjoy and participate in and cultivate together. What a beautiful way the Lord has made this, isn't it? This is a beautiful vision. So we get a vision for what this looks like on the ground in the book of 1 Thessalonians. So this letter gives us a vision for discipleship as worship, in community, and on mission. So last week we focused on discipleship as worship, uh, this image of turning from our idolatry to serve the true God. And this morning, we're going to focus on discipleship in community, and we're looking in particular at chapter 2, verse 17, through chapter 3, verse 13. So let's read this together, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 17, and then pray. The Apostle Paul, writing to them, says, "'But since we were torn away from you, brothers and sisters, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face.'" Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Chapter 3, therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it's come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we've been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord." 
For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are thankful for your word. We uh, come to this recognizing that this is your very word to us. It's alive, it's active. You take it by your spirit and uh, you work it in our hearts and powerfully transform us. So we pray that you do that this morning. We pray that you would help us be free from unhelpful distraction and to focus on hearing from you. We pray that you would do the work in our hearts and lives, our minds, our wills that only you can do, and that we would leave here energized and joyful in you uh, to love and serve. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this text that we just read gives us a vision for what relationships, what community can look like as Christians. So here's the vision it gives us in a phrase, true community with discipleship intentionality. So we'll walk through this text to see both of these aspects, true community and then discipleship intentionality. So first, true community. Could you, did, did you notice Paul's intensity here? It's hard to miss, isn't it? His whole mind and heart are thrown into what he's saying in this letter. And so what is he so intense about? Well, over and over and over, we notice that he's so intense about his longing to see them, to be with them, not just to connect with them in general, but to see them face to face, to be in their presence, to be with them. So look at how he says this, verse 11 or sorry, verse 17, he says he was torn away from them. That's strong language. So he's not just saying, I wish I had more time with you when we were together. Now, he's emotional about this. It pains him. He was torn away from them. But then he says he was torn away in person, not in heart. So even though he can't be with them, he wants them to know that his heart is still with these Christians. Then he says now how much he wants to be with them in person. So he's separated from them. He wants them to know his heart's still with them, but that's still not enough because he does long to be with them. So he says this, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. You see him just heaping up language to show the intensity with which he feels. He doesn't just want to write back and forth. He doesn't just want to check in and hear from them. He's eagerly and with great desire wanting to see them face to face. And listen to how he speaks of them in verses 19 and 20 of chapter 2 here. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. He calls them his glory and joy. It's hard to find words that would express a stronger affection for them. And this theme continues throughout the rest of our passage we read over and over. He expresses this affection for them, this love for them, his desire to see them face to face is repeated. So here's the background uh, to all of this. He's referring 
at times here to uh, what happened when he planted this church. You can read about it later in Acts 17, if you'd like. Paul, Silas, and Timothy were a church planning team at one point, and they came to the city of Thessalonica to tell people about Jesus. And when they did, Several people became Christians, and a church plant was started. We read about that last week where Paul said, you know, he shows up and talks about Jesus, and he sees the Word with the Spirit coming in great power. So Paul's just being faithful to share the gospel, and God is doing what only he can do, giving new hearts and making disciples. And so they become a church, but some of the Jewish unbelievers in that city were angry. They formed a mob and they were searching for them. Listen to Acts 17, verse 5. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob. They set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, who was a believer, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. Now, Paul knows what can happen in this kind of situation because he's been stoned before, he's been arrested before, he's been run out of town before. So Paul and his team had to escape in the middle of the night, and that's what he's referring to. He was torn away from them. That's not how he was hoping to leave them. And now he wants them to know that he wishes he could be with them. He's tried over and over to get back to them. He wants to see them face to face because he loves them deeply. So Paul's showing, among other things, two marks of true community here. The two marks are physical presence and expressed affection. And we have the privilege of cultivating both of these marks in our church context and relationships today. We have challenges to this, like Paul. So how do we overcome the obstacles, right? Challenges today with the pandemic and social distancing. And, you know, there's a lot of challenges to being face-to-face with those whom we love. So how do we overcome obstacles to enjoy physical presence and expressed affection? Well, let's consider both of these aspects. First, physical presence. The language Paul's using here is face-to-face. Paul's vision of community is face-to-face physical presence. Now, you may be thinking, Paul didn't have technology, though, right? We have that today. He doesn't have email and texting and social media. But think about what Paul is doing right here in this letter, right? He's writing to them. He's using the technology of his day to bridge the gap between not being physically present with them. But that's not enough for him. He wants to see them face to face. So writing for him, using the technology of his day, isn't enough. What he's passionate about is seeing them. The Apostle John said something similar at the end of his second letter. In 2 John 12, it says this, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. And do you hear the connection that John makes there between face-to-face connection and joy? I'll read it again. He said, he'd rather not write with paper and ink. I hope to come to you and talk face-to-face so that our joy may be complete. So writing is fine and it's good and he's doing it, but that's not where the completion of joy comes. It's a partial joy. It's not a full joy. So for us today, let's be grateful for letters and texts and emails and phone calls and Zoom and FaceTime and live streaming even right now. Let's embrace these and be grateful for them, especially when needed. 
But let's remember that the community that we were made for, that we should long for, the ideal community is face-to-face physical presence. We were made for embodied physical presence with one another. So Christianity doesn't just value the spiritual over the physical. There's not some kind of false dichotomy between the two, as if God doesn't care about our physical life. It's just the spiritual things that matter. Uh, No, God made us as embodied people. He made us to live in a physical world with all the joys and limitations of space and time. He didn't make us computers with hard drives just to transfer information to one another. He made us to know each other, to be with each other, to pick up all the nonverbals of communication with one another, to laugh together. Jesus came as a human being, and He rose again physically, and He will come again to be with us for the completion of joy. He is eager to be with us face to face, and then to live with Him and one another in a new creation forever with resurrected bodies, embodied life. So our physical presence matters. Matters to God, and it should matter to us. So Paul here is expressing this deep and this good desire to see them, to be with them face to face. So what do we do with this? How does this relate to true community today? Well, this encourages us to enjoy being with one another and recognize that it is very meaningful to be together in physical presence. It encourages us to value this and to prioritize this. This is why we continue to value our Sunday face-to-face gathering. We continue to be so grateful for live streaming, and we will be. But when this pandemic lets up, let's not drift into settling for an online option out of convenience. There's no equivalent replacement for face-to-face gathering. So we recognize and embrace the obstacles um, and, our, and understand that that's going on. But then as we look to the future, we always hold this ideal out of face-to-face embodied physical presence. And then the other mark we see here of true community is expressed affection. It's not just that Paul has a deep affection for them. This isn't just love in general. This is deep affection and it's expressed. He's not just saying, I tried to come to you and it didn't work out. He's not stoic about his relationship with them. He has a deep affection for them, and he's not afraid to say things that express it. So in verses 17 to 20, he lets them know he felt torn away from them. He says his heart is still with them. He says he longs to see them. He calls them his glory and his joy, and that continues through the whole text. So I'm so grateful for how many of you have modeled to me what it looks like to express affection You're an example to this, and many of you, both men and women, young and old, have been an example to me and one another in this. But I know some of you have also had a hard time with this. Uh, In our culture, especially for men, it's become awkward and uncomfortable to express affection. And that is unique in history, even the history of America. Um, I think I've shared this before. You read letters that were exchanged between men in early um, America, and they're filled with affection and statements of just even missing each other, longing to be with each other, loving each other, um, without any hint of anything sexual going on. It's just real human friendship, like Paul's expressing here. And so if this is new for you, I just want to encourage you to take one step in the next day. And we can all take this together. Children, youth, adults, men, women, everyone can take this step. Sometime today or tomorrow, think of one person that you are thankful to God for, and why. Think of one person that you're thankful to God for and why you're thankful, 
and then tell them. Tell them you thank God for them and tell them why. Tell them why you respect them. Tell them you love them and why you love them. And when you tell them, uh, try to find the most, the, the way that's closest to face-to-face as you can get. So there's a, there's a spectrum, right, of closeness here. Face-to-face is the ideal. Next to that would be, you know, a video call. Next to that is a phone call. Next to that would be an email or a text or maybe a letter would be in there somewhere. So try to slide as far as you can, close to face-to-face, to tell this person why you thank God for them and why you love them. And then just another note too, um, especially if you do struggle with this or you want to learn to grow and do this better, look for those around you who are examples of this. Just note that and pay attention and mark people in your mind who model this really well. This kind of not only uh, love for people, but an expressed affection who are good at expressing it in a non-weird, normal, meaningful way. So that's true community. Now let's move to the second part. True community with discipleship intentionality. So what is discipleship? What is a disciple? Well, the word disciple refers to being a learner or a follower or an apprentice. So discipleship is the process of learning or following or being an apprentice of Jesus. A disciple is a learner of Jesus. It's someone who learns from Jesus to be like Jesus. So if you are exploring what it means to be a Christian, uh, this is at the heart of it. It's not religion and rules. It's knowing the real Jesus. He's risen and he makes himself known today through his word and by his spirit. It's knowing him, coming to him and receiving his grace and forgiveness for all your sins, and then learning from him and his word how to become like him. you're, You're an apprentice of Jesus. You're a follower of him. And what Paul here is showing is that the heart of true Christianity and true Christian community is helping one one another along on this path. It's not just enjoying relationships in general. It's not just enjoying fellowship in general. It's community in part for the sake of helping one another grow to follow Jesus, to become like Jesus, to grow as disciples of Jesus. That's really the goal of Paul's desire to be with them. He doesn't just want to be with them for community's sake. He wants them to know and follow Jesus, and he wants to be with them to help in that. So we see this in chapter 3, verses 1 to 10 here. So here's the context. Paul and Timothy and Silas were this church planning team. They planted the church together, but then as we noted, they were run out of town because this angry mob formed against them. And their next stop, they traveled to a city of Berea, and then they went to Athens. And while they were at Athens, Paul said he was increasingly burdened and concerned about this church, the Thessalonians, that he was run out, run away from. He was concerned about them. He wanted to get back to them, but he was hindered in some various ways. But he doesn't just give up. He does whatever he can to still help them grow as Christians. So, verse 1, therefore... When we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. Which, by the way, that would be a sacrifice itself, right? Paul keeps getting run out of town and stoned and arrested. To be left somewhere alone as this missionary church planner would be a pretty frightening situation. But he's like, I'm willing to do this. 
because I was burdened for you, and I love you, and I want to see you grow in Christ. So he says, while we were, we were willing to be left at Athens alone, verse 2, we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. So Paul sent Timothy back to them, and he did it for them, not just to be blessed by having Timothy with them in general, but for Timothy to be able to help them grow as Christians. So this is an example of how to help them help others grow as disciples. We see what Timothy was called to do is what we're called to do to help each other as well. So he he was sent to do two things in verse 2, to establish and to exhort them in their faith. So what does that mean? Establish. Uh, That could be translated to strengthen them. The The idea here is to solidify, to firm them up. It's a word that often describes what Paul did to, for new believers in churches. He established them, um, establishing them in knowing the real Jesus and the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, and what it means to um, trust in Jesus, being saved, justified, declared righteous by faith alone, by grace alone, through Jesus alone, according to God's Word alone. The second goal is for Timothy to exhort them. And that word can, it sometimes means something like command. Other times it means something like encourage or comfort. Um, either would make sense here. I think the encourage or comfort idea makes the most sense in this context because Timothy is to encourage them in light of all these afflictions they're experiencing, to help calm them and say, listen, uh, when you become Christians, you are signing up for suffering. You are signing up for affliction, Um, and so don't be surprised by any of this. And so Timothy is to specifically establish and exhort them in their faith, Paul says. So faith here, referring to the Christian faith in general and growth in general, Paul repeatedly says this in this text. He wants them to be firm and to grow uh, in their faith. So here's what this shows us about true community. True community is like a long-distance race, and there's going to be trials and afflictions and sufferings along the way. But it's not a race that we view individualistically alone. It's not just where one person wins. It's a team event. So we are all in this together, enduring in this persevering life of faith. We're all running, and we're not just looking ahead to the finish line, the day of Christ. We're also looking around at one another inviting others to join this race, and then helping other believers continue to make progress. So, for the past few years, um, our family's gone to uh, this kids' track event, um, and they have races for kids of different ages. And one of my favorite pictures that we sometimes look at as a family is this picture of Christina running next to our youngest on the track. Um, and he was something like three years old, maybe less. It's hard to make it around the track at that age um, and even to stay upright. And so you need help. You need encouragement. And here's this picture of Christina and Luke going about one mile an hour and her encouraging him along um, on this race. Uh, That is often what true community will look like. True community with discipleship intentionality. Not just running ahead and then hanging out with those who are kind of making the pace you are, but dropping back, speeding up, moving alongside, helping each other, making progress together. If you're out ahead and you're finishing alone, you didn't actually win. 
Because winning is crossing the line together. That's Paul's vision here. Perseverance in the faith is a team event. So here's a few practical steps for us. Maybe just grab onto one of these. I'll list five of them. Could do more. Be creative on your own, but just maybe grab to one of these. Um, and n- none of these will necessarily be new to you. Maybe you're doing all five. Um, but first, invest in others on Sunday mornings. So, you know, how can we encourage true community with discipleship intentionality on Sunday mornings? Well, one way is to make sure that we never view this service as a performance, but it's a time for all of us to participate together, singing together, leaning in, uniting our hearts to pray together, eagerly leaning to hear God's Word as it's read and preached and open to the Spirit working in our heart. Um, and then before and after the service and at other times, encouraging one another, speaking to one another, befriending one another, setting up times to get together with one another. So we're limiting some of this in light of social distancing, but especially when things are normal, um, continue to encourage you to come early and linger longer. Look for people to talk with whom you can know more deeply. Look for those who are guests. Sit where you usually don't sit. Just a reminder, we don't have assigned seats. You don't get to assign yourself a seat. If someone's sitting in, quote unquote, your seat, thank God, sit next to them and start talking to them. And don't let them know that, that, that you view that as your seat because it's not your seat. It's theirs now. Um, second, engage wholeheartedly in your small group. Uh, three minutes before your group time starts. If you're on your way to a house or you're about to click on the Zoom call, think about how you can be intentional to infuse this time with discipleship intentionality. How can you share meaningfully from your life when you're sharing? How can you encourage your small group leaders as they seek to lead the group? How can you contribute positively to help people know and follow Jesus better. And not just at the small group meeting time, but sometimes more importantly, outside of that. How can you think through through the week, reaching out to someone, getting together or sending a note to encourage them and get to know them better and spend time with them um, with the goal of helping each other follow Jesus. Third, meet with someone to read the Bible together or a Bible-saturated book. Invite a friend or someone else in the church to do a one-to-one Bible study with you. It can be someone your own age or it can be someone who's older or younger than you. Intergenerational relationships are um, really important. It can be a great blessing. So in part of your meeting, you know, it doesn't need to be that structured. Meet for coffee or a meal or something and then just read a portion of the Bible. Share some observations and the implications and meaning for life, how, how you should change in light of it. Then pray together. Or read a Bible-saturated book with someone. Um, That's why we have the resource corner there. We think of these as discipleship resources. Those books over there are carefully chosen because they are meant to help us grow as disciples. And I've mentioned this before, but we always have more than one copy available over there so that you can read together. You can grab a copy for yourself and grab a copy for someone else whom you will read that together with so we don't just read alone, but we can actually grow together in community. Fourth, ask questions that take conversation just one step deeper. Uh, Surface and superficial conversations, I think, are important and have a good place in life as human beings. But if you always stay there, that's like always just stepping your feet in the shoreline and never actually going out into the deep. 
And so whenever you're in a conversation, just think, what's a question I can ask here that would help it go one step deeper? How can I ask about their life, what's encouraging, what's discouraging, how their work's going, how their home life's going, and then just stay curious. Ask questions, really care about the person you're talking with. And then finally, pray for one another. Notice Paul's prayer in verse 9. We pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what's, what's lacking in your faith. Do you see how that prayer is shaped by those two themes we're talking about? True community marked by physical presence and discipleship intentionality, right? He says, I'm praying all the time that we may see you face-to-face, true community, and supply what's lacking in your faith, right? Discipleship intentionality. So pray for members of your small group. Pray for other members of our church family. Pray for friends and family members. Pray for revival and renewal in our day and in our area. Let's wrap up by looking at the final thing that Paul says here in our text in verses 11 to 13. This is a benediction. Benedictions are expected blessings. They're ways of looking to God and looking for Him to give what only He can give. Notice the two themes uh, right here. Paul wants to be with them in true community, and he wants them to grow together as disciples. So, first, He wants true community. Verse 11, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. So you see him looking to God to provide the way for community, to provide the way forward for face-to-face community. He's looking for God to bring them together again. Only he can remove this pandemic and remove the social distancing and other barriers that we have. Only he can restore face-to-face relationships. And then second, Paul also looks to God as the one who can provide the real discipleship growth. Verse 12, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints." So you see him looking to God. God, provide a way for us to be together. And would you make them increase and abound in love for one another? That's a great prayer to pray. God does not, God does not, is not interested in you limiting him uh, for the sake of, you know, protecting someone's own ability to choose or free will or idea of that or some way. God invites us to say, God, would you get inside their interiority at the deepest part of who they are and just make them love people? (laughs) Would you make them love one another? Because it's for their joy and they don't even know it. Would you make them a happier person? Would you cause them to abound in thanksgiving? And then God will not respond to that prayer and say, I'm not into that kind of thing. It's up to them. No, God God will answer that prayer and say, by the Spirit, with great mystery, I will work in their wills so that they actually want to know me and love one another. And so we look to God to do this, and we expect Him to do it. Only He can make it happen. Only He can bring true community and cause discipleship growth to happen. So that means we pursue all of this with dependence on Him. So I often just end a sermon with just one, I want to say this every week. What a privilege. You know, just kind of finish closing my notes, and I'm just thinking, this is a, what a privilege to be part of this kind of reality. I didn't make this stuff up. I'm just saying what's here, and I, it's just a joy to be able to read this with you 
and then say, can, let's, by God's grace, do this. And God's happy to help us. So let's ask him. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for changing the Apostle Paul's heart, radically transforming him from being a persecutor of Christians in the first century to then being a a man who loves them and delights in them and wants to be with them and sets this example for us. So we're we're thanking you for that because you did it. And we pray that you would cultivate in us this kind of passion all the more. Thank you for doing it in years past and days past in our church. And we pray that you would do it all the more. We pray for a fresh wave of your Spirit's work in our minds and hearts to give us this great joy of living for what we were made for in community, uh, a community that worships you and loves one another. So thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.